Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 17. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. God says, Behold I make all things new. As I started to prepare this, I felt God was saying to me that it was time for something new, that he was doing something new. But as a result of this last year, something new would happen. He didn't let me in on the secret of what that was, but I think we can be encouraged by it. I think most of us can agree that 2020 was a really strange year. For a lot of people, it was a really hard year, a really sad year. And a lot of us will be very glad that it is over. And yet it challenged us to change. We had to find new ways of meeting and keeping in touch with people. I mean, how many of you thought that video calls would become such a large part of your life? For me personally, as well as learning to work from home, which I enjoyed as I gained two hours every day um, from my commute into Colchester, 2020 was also the year that I got diagnosed with diabetes and had to make some quite drastic light changes to my lifestyle. I also had my interviews with the Eastern Baptist Association, which led me to this job and then into full-time ministry. 2020 changed my life. And I have ended it healthier, happier and with a new direction to my life. And I for one am excited to see what 2021 holds. But I know for a lot of people 2020 hasn't been a pleasant or positive year. We've lost loved ones, dealt with the loneliness and frustrations of lockdown, of being unable to meet with people who matter, to have a hug or even to pop to the shops. I know for a lot of people 2020 will be a year that they will be very glad to see the back of. But God says... Behold, I make all things new. As we start 2021, I believe God is challenging us to reflect on the last year and use it to make positive changes in our life. Who here makes a New Year's resolution? And who's already broken it? We'd be surprised to learn that the tradition of making New Year's resolutions began with the ancient Babylonians over 4,000 years ago. They are said to have started the tradition during Akutu, which was their 12-day New Year celebration. During this festival, the ancient Babylonians would plant crops, crown a new king, or pledge their loyalty to the reigning king, and make promises to the gods to pay their debts and return any borrowed items. They believed that if they kept their word, the gods would look favourably on them for the year ahead. If the Babylonians broke their promises, they would fall on the bad side of their gods. This tradition continued in ancient Rome, when in 46 BC, Julius Caesar introduced a new calendar, which declared January the 1st as the start of the year. This new date honoured Janus, a two-faced god, who symbolically looked back into the previous year and forwards into the new year. The Romans would offer sacrifices to Janus and make promises of good behaviour for the year ahead. New Year's resolutions were also made in the Middle Ages. Knights would renew their vow of chivalry by placing their hands on a live or roasted peacock. The annual peacock vow would take place at the end of the year as a resolution to maintain their knighthood values. 
Modern New Year's resolutions are a largely secular practice, with most people making resolutions to themselves, rather than promising, making promises to their gods or God. The focus of the tradition is usually on self-improvement. Today's resolutions are often health-focused, driven by the indulgence of Christmas. The symbology of the new year also makes it a great time to wipe the slate clean, clean and start fresh after December the 31st. Personally, I really like the period between Christmas and New Year. The busyness and stress of Christmas is over. Once the decorations are down, the house feels cleaner and less cluttered. There's usually something to, there is usually something new to look at or use. And I always set aside a period of time to reflect on the previous year. I look at all I've achieved and everything that has changed since the beginning of last year and I decide what I hope to achieve the following year. I still use a paper diary and I use that period of time to fill it in. I usually set myself some self-improvement goals, even though I don't often really believe that I'll be able to keep them. However, because of last year's experience, I've also started to believe in myself. I am managing to keep to a low-carb diet and have lost four stone, something I never actually believed I would be able to do in the past. So this year, setting myself a target actually seems achievable. This year, my main goal is to read all the way through the Bible in a year. I was inspired to do this by Nicky Gumbel from the Alpha Course, who reads his every year and writes notes and prayers in the margin, which he then can review the following year. Does anyone here like change? I do. I love the chance to start fresh, to try a different way of doing things. And I'm not talking about change for change's sake. I mean, if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. But if there's a new way of doing something that is going to make my life better or bring glory to God, then I'm really up for that. But why do we feel the need to change? Maybe you don't, maybe it's just me. But why do we feel that we're not good enough? That there is always something that we can improve on? Now it may be that you're leading your best life and that you don't feel the need to make any changes. And if you are, congratulations. Could you come and let me know how you're managing it? But most of us, but sorry, but for most of us, I think if we were honest, we would say that there is something about our lives that we would like to do differently. And that will be different for each of us, and only you know what they are. But what is it makes us feel that way? For each of us, there might be different reasons. Some of it will come from living in a society where no one is ever right. You're either too fat or too thin. You're too lazy or an overachiever with no time for family. A society is focused on telling you that you are not good enough and that there is someone else out there doing things better than you are. Or it might be because of your health. You might know that you have to change your lifestyle for the sake of your health. It might be time to lose that weight or get fit or stop drinking so much. Sometimes it might be a prompting from the Holy Spirit. He might be telling you that it's time you stop doing something that is not good for you or started doing something that is good for you. Maybe it's time we stopped listening to ourselves and others about how our lives should be led and started listening to God. Because God says, Behold, I make all things new. But it's so hard to change, I hear you say, and I don't really want to give up that thing that I love doing, even though I know that it is not good for me. So if you remember nothing else from today, I want you to remember the following sentence. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And he will forgive you each and every time that you mess up. There is nothing that you can do that he won't forgive you for if you ask it.
Let me repeat that. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And he will forgive you each and every time that you mess up. There is nothing that you can do that he won't forgive you for if you ask. So if you give up that thing that is bad for you and then fall off the wagon, God will forgive you. And if God will forgive you, then you can forgive yourself. So you may ask, why should I bother to change? Why should I give up the things that I really enjoy and give me pleasure? And I realised as I wrote this that I make it sound as if everything and fun and enjoyable is wrong and should be stopped. And that's not what I mean at all. But there might be things that we do that would be considered a sin in God's eyes. And if you're not sure what they might be, then the Ten Commandments is a good place to start. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What are you making a god in your life? Is there anything that you are putting before him? In my case, I often stay up too late watching some silly TV programme, then go to bed without doing my evening quiet time. I'm putting that TV show before him. No idols. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Observe the Sabbath. That can be harder to do at the moment, when it's harder to get into church and all your days just seem to fade into one. This one challenged me. Do I have a day that I dedicate to God and don't do other things on? Or do I just have a few hours on a Sunday morning? Honour your mother and father. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie about other people. Don't covet your neighbour's wife's ass. I mean, sorry, don't lust after anything that someone else has. In our reading, we read that because Christ died for us, we should die to our old life. And this means no longer living for ourselves, but living for him. God is challenging us to give up the things that we hold on to or do, because they make us feel good for a short while, but are not actually good for us at all. The first step in doing this is to understand and accept that Christ died for you. Maybe you've never actually done this before, and even for those of us that know it to be true, it never hurts to be reminded. Why did Christ die for us? Well, because we mess up. We sin, and the punishment for messing up and for sinning is death. We're told that in Romans 6, verse 23. God created us to be his companions, but God is perfect and sin cannot be in his presence. So this meant that because we messed up, we can't be in his presence. But God didn't want that, so Jesus came into the world and took the punishment for our mistakes. And all we have to do is accept that Jesus did that, and then we get to live with God forever. As Christians, we have a ceremony that helps us focus on that death. It helps us to remember why Christ died for us. So we're going to take communion now and take a little time to think about the sacrifice that was made for us. Come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come, not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Loving God, we praise and thank you for your love shown to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life and ministry, announcing the good news of your kingdom and demonstrating its power in the lifting of the downtrodden and the healing of the sick and the loving of the loveless. We thank you for his sacrificial death upon the cross for the redemption of the world and for your raising him again to life as a foretaste of the glory we shall share. We give you thanks for this bread and wine, symbols of our world and signs of your transforming love. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that we may be, be renewed into the likeness of Christ Jesus and formed into his body. This we pray for his name and in his sake. Amen. Jesus said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. You may eat your piece of bread. In the same way he took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant, covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. Drink this and remember that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. You may have drink the wine. Your death, O Lord, we commemorate. Your resurrection we confess. Your final coming we await. Glory be to you, O God, Father of all. We give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought, you, brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us, great, gave us grace and opened the gates of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us, so we and your children shall be free and the whole earth shall live to praise your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. When we first accept that Jesus died for our sins, we're all fired up and we want to change. We want to put behind us all the things we do that are not pleasing to God, and change our lives to a way that makes us, that, that, and change our lives to a way that we believe makes him happy. Just imagine if you got a phone call from someone you really loved, saying that they were... Sorry, let me start that again. Just imagine if you got a phone call saying that someone you really admired and looked up to was coming to your house for dinner. If you're anything like me, you would clean and tidy your house. Anything that you didn't think that person would be impressed by would be tidied away out of sight. Then imagine if that person moved in. If you wanted to carry on pleasing them and impressing them, then you would have to stop doing all the things that didn't make them happy. The same is true when we invite God to come into our lives. We want to stop doing the things that we know don't impress him. And because he loves us so much, the things that don't impress him are the things we do that are harmful to ourselves. God is challenging me about the things that I've let creep back in that are damaging to my life and my way of thinking. Maybe some of the books I read or the TV programmes I watch are not really good for me. Maybe I like to moan about my work colleagues a little bit too much. Maybe my attitude to something needs to change. There are things that I do that I know are not what God would want from me, or how he would want me to behave, but that I justify them by telling myself that I am good in other parts of my life. Maybe there's something in your life that you do, 
but you know that it is not how God would like you to lead your life. And this is where I start to panic a bit. I mean, am I supposed to be perfect? I have to admit that since I accepted God's calling to be a minister, I'm feeling extra pressure to lead my life in a way that is pleasing to God. I think that everyone is going to be looking at me and expecting me to have the answers, expecting me to know how God wants things done or not done. People are going to be looking at my life and expecting me to lead by example. But God says, behold, I make all things new. We don't have to make the changes on our own. We don't have to do it in our own strength. Psalm 46 reminds us that God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help. So God is going to be be beside us, helping us to make these changes. And Hebrews 4, 14-16 says, For we do not have a high priest, and he's talking here about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been as tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So remember, Jesus loves us. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, so that we could spend forever with him. And as a result of that, anyone who belongs to Christ is now living a new life. A life where we can focus on what God wants and what makes him happy, instead of what we think we want or makes us happy. I'm sure many of you can relate to the fact that making God happy will in turn make us happy. So as we start 2021, let us remember, the old life is gone and a new life has begun. Corinthians 4, starting at verse 17, reminds us, For our present troubles are very small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see now, Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I don't know how many of you listened to last Sunday's sermon on YouTube, but Jenya asked us to reflect. She read the passage from Matthew's Gospel, the end of Matthew's Gospel, commonly known as the Great Commission, that says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then she asked, did you go? And if you did go, did you follow the instructions? If you didn't watch it, then I would highly recommend that you do so. It's available on the EBA YouTube page. I, for one, was quite challenged by it. But she closed in the same way as I'm going to close, by reminding us that we can only do it in God's grace with his help. I'm going to take a few minutes to pray now, to talk to God, and if you like, you can take this time to ask him if there's anything you need to change in your life, something that isn't good for you, something that you need to stop doing, something that you need to start doing. Then admit you can't do it in your own strength and ask him for help. For God says, Behold, I make all things new.